Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Thank you so much for downloading this episode of Under Consultation, which is brought to you in part by our wonderful backers over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod. Backers at the £5 level have already heard this episode and are diving into next week's show right now, where Jet and Shadow from Gladiators board the game's rig to play American Gladiators. So yeah, expect to hear a lot of chat about Gladiators. You can hear that right now ad free and a week early by heading over to patreon.com forward slash under console pod. Now, on with this week's show. an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, offering you the chance to come look at my joysticks in the back. And kissing the canvas, also joining you on this journey, I am Ash Versus. And do you want a massive erection in the middle of this high street? You've got it, yes. Guest appearance by Mafu, the Botchamania blokey, who sometimes writes for Wrestle Talk, which Luke Owen is kind of related to. <laughs> Very incestuous. <laughs> Welcome to the show, uh, Mappy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, for those of you who possibly don't know who you are, why don't you uh, give a little introduction to yourself and let the fine people know what a Matthew is. What a Matthew is, yes. <laughs> uh, a Matthew is a guy who started making videos on his laptop uh, over 10 years ago that were basically him fanning about with wrestlers messing up old video game music and silly references to The Simpsons. Somehow, some way, this niche of a niche of a niche of a niche thing has become rather popular for reasons that would take too long to explain. And that's the reason I'm sat with these two gentlemen today talking about Games Master because my life is one big state of arrested development. <laughs> <laughs> After this, it'll be the podcast breakdown of Tugs, uh, <laughs> Art Attack. <laughs> Me and Ash did joke uh, when we were going to approach you about being a guest on the episode. It was like, was it? Is it too on the nose to ask Matthew to do the episode where Jim Duggan is the guest star on it? But we thought, you know what? I'll, I'll literally approach it that way and use those exact words to Matthew. <laughs> like, mate, would you mind being on the wrestling episode? It is a fun one. 
that I'm, I'm, I'm like Gilbert Godfrey when it comes to being typecasting. Yes, I will play the <laughs> annoying guy with the worst voice. Because <laughs> you did the, um, you've been on Talking Simpsons, and you did the episode where Bret Hart was the guest voice star. Yes. <laughs> this is the weird thing about Botchamania because people who don't really would be associated with wrestling as their main thing tend to like it as well. So I have a surprised amount of, I want to say famous, but like I know them and I'm impressed by who they are. People like the Talking Simpson people. One of the guys was in Merlin, the TV series. Just the name, <laughs> but two. It's Matthew Stutters <laughs> to think of any of us. But you get my point. So when they go, hey, we can very vicariously have you in this, it's like, sure. <laughs> you know, certain games developers who may or may not have made Doom Eternal. <laughs> Not naming any names. Um, Could have been anybody. But, uh, you know, uh, what is your, um, what's your history with the show Games Master? Like, when did you start watching it? I blame Games Master for the position I'm in today, to be honest with you, because it's weird to explain this to kids nowadays when you only had video game magazines to communicate what a game was, what it looked like. Obviously, you see advertisements on buses, maybe, or things, but they were fairly rare, unless it was a really big thing like Mortal Monday or Sonic Tuesday and all the rest. So to see actual video game footage, to me, was the coolest thing because I was really, really enamored by video games when I was young because it was just this... It looked just so cool to me, like this idea that there's this little virtual world and you could do these things and save the day and then jump on the guy in the flying car and he turns red and explodes and he turns up at the second level miraculously unscathed. Yeah, it was something really cool to me. And to see this in person... Same person, you know what I mean? On TV, animated, moving, you're like, bloody hell, that's what it looks like. That's what it sounds like. And it's, oh. So I really liked it. My parents weren't thrilled with it at all because <laughs> they're just like, whatever. They, they knew Patrick more from when he was, you know, Sky at Night and all the other things. So they saw this as, you know, a once great person reduced to <laughs> doing <laughs> weird CGI where he's kind of a giant head, he sits on an oil rig, but does he, but doesn't he? And he's answering, he's answering kids' questions about stuff. And they're like, oh, no, the mighty has fallen. Why couldn't you have oh, no. done Panto instead, Patrick Moore? But I loved it. I really loved it. And it wasn't until years later I rewatched it and understood what Dominic Diamond was saying half the time. Yeah, that's the one thing that we've really picked up on in this rewatch is like, because we, you know, we watch episodes like, you know, three or four times. And it's even like on the fourth watch, I'll be like, oh, I actually missed that dick joke in there. They are peppered throughout this and are often very, very subtle. Subtle? <laughs> I, said, I said some of them are some of them are more, uh, more subtle than others <laughs> I mean subtle as opposed to like a brick being more less subtle than a hand grenade yeah <laughs> obviously it's also nice that you'd see the evolution of Games Master in regards to how video games were perceived because right now series 1 series 2 it was these games are for kids small children mm -hmm. whatever not for sophisticated bit nerdish and then Dominic Diamond his appearance would uh, mirror what was happening in reality with becoming cooler and more yeah in your face you know <laughs> rough i'm poochie the scottish dog <laughs> <laughs> so uh what was your gaming history at this point so you know this is november 1992 uh what consoles do you have what are you playing uh my parents had a master system which is weird because they then never gamed ever again uh, so I would have been into Sonic the Hedgehog mm. for the Master System, which I will be one of those awkward people who thinks that one is better than Sonic the Hedgehog for the Mega Drive. Oh, math. Come on, mate. I, it's, you, know, remember, you never forget your first. And, <laughs> and so that would be that and Alex Kidd, which 
of course, ruined video gaming for many people when they assumed that every game's console would come with a game you could have switched on <laughs> the console with nothing in it. Awesome. And did, was there a point where you stopped watching Games Master or did you just stick through with it uh, up until its final day? I would have said that I watched every episode, but I don't remember a bloody thing about Series 3. So either <laughs> I did and it had absolutely no effect on me or I wasn't watching it. And, and I did look, I did scout for it like every week. I was very unfamiliar with the concept of, you know, series or seasons. Like, no, they're going to wait a year and then they'll come back. Oh, all right, okay. So I just check every week. Oh, let's see. Radio Times. Oh, no, Games Master. All right. Well, let's dive into episode six. It aired on the 5th of November, 1992. The Crying Game is still the number one film in the box office, but we have got a new song at the top of the charts. It's End of the Road by Boys Two Men. A sexy, sexy song. That's a very sad song at the same time. Rob, like the Crying Game. <laughs> Not talking about Crying Game again, Matt. No, we, we already awkwardly tap danced around that particular subject matter last week and uh, <laughs> it was awkward to record the edit was worse so we'll leave it at that <laughs> but no end of the road you say it was a new song at number one it wasn't it wasn't because technically this was the s second release for it because it was mm. originally released in june because it was written for the eddie murphy vehicle boomerang and it wasn't on Boys to Men's first album, but then when the album was released in Europe, because the song had been such a big hit in America, they kind of tacked it on to the end. Oh. And then when they re-released the album in America the next year, they copied the track listing of the European release, and it all kind of went around in a big circle. I think it's number one in the charts until like the end of the month. We've got a few weeks of it. It's not going to get to wet, wet, wet territories. We're not going to be <laughs> stuck with Goodnight Girl in our head for seven or eight weeks. But it is going to be with us for a little while. In America, it spent 13 weeks at the top of the billboard. Was that 3-0? 13, 1-3. Oh, okay, I was going to say, even so, that's still a massive amount. It is. It was a record breaker. It broke a record that had been held by Elvis Presley since 1956, when he had 11 weeks at the top of the Billboard Top 100. So it was a massive, massive song and hadn't long disappeared out of the top of the charts by the time it was released over here in the UK and then went up into the charts here. Were you a fan of Boys to Men, Matthew? No, I like them singing at WrestleMania, but that's it. <laughs> Like I said, I was uh, in between playing Sonic the Hedgehog, Alex, Alex Kidd. I had no time for Boyz II Men. <laughs> <laughs> it is a banging tune, though. Uh, I got to have a quick re-listen to it before we came on here because uh, I, 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 Boyz II Men was not a band I appreciated at the time, but I have appreciated more in my later years where <laughs> I've uh, been like, do you know what, actually, I, I'm going to give these a second go. And yeah, they've got some absolutely belting tracks, lovely soulful voices. Um, so I was one of those people that marked out a little bit when they appeared in uh, the Seth Rogen movie Longshot with Charlize Theron. And I was like, oh, wow, boys to men are here. That's cool. God, you're one of the three people that saw that film. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good film. It's on Netflix now, I think. You should, everyone right. should go check it out. Original title of Bombs to Men. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. And welcome to Bonfire Night Games Master, an orgiastic Catherine wheel of video game news, tips, reviews, and challenges. So 
Keep your dogs and pussies safely locked up inside in case there are any big bangs. Right, well, let's dive into the episode itself. Dominic Diamond says this is a... Uh, did he say it's an orgy-tastic Catherine Wheel ep- uh, of an episode? He does. He uses the phrase orgiastic or orgy-tastic Catherine Wheel of an episode, which just made me think it was kind of a crap orgy because no one looks at a Catherine Wheel and goes, well, that lived up to expectations. Hey, now, I think a Catherine was pretty cool, actually. That was one of my favourite one of the fireworks. That says more about you than it does about the captain wheel <laughs> yeah it's bonfire night it's uh the 5th of november and uh yeah he's uh said because there might be some big bangs we need to keep our dogs and pussies inside the house couldn't say cats no no it was one of the not so subtle references oh that's an unsubtle one right thanks yeah, that, that that's down. one of the unsubtle ones <laughs> yeah. i mean literally just throwing the word pussy out there that's that's the unsubtle bar <laughs> yeah. He doesn't waste much time on this and he immediately throws us over to everyone's favourite sparkler, the Games Master. Greetings and welcome to the Games Week. I am delighted that you've chosen to join me for another batch of video game teasers. It can get a little lonely out here on the rig. Tonight's first young pretender to game-playing glory will need to indulge in a spot of low patrolling on the Super Nessie. With the aid of a bazooka, 17 of these hapless mammals need to be blasted out of the ground in under one minute. But beware. While turtle mode should be dispatched without hesitation, pink one should be avoided at all costs. Proceed with caution. So our first challenge is Mole Patrol, which was uh, a game that was sort of packed in for the uh, Super Scope 6. Uh, but uh, the Games Master says is uh, Mole Patrol on the Super Nessie. I was very disappointed that there wasn't actually a game for the SNES called the Super Nessie because there was a super <laughs> everything else for the Super NES. Uh, Ash, you had a Super Nintendo uh, around this period of time. Did you actually have the Super Scope? Oh, no, my parents valued money. <laughs> they they wouldn't get me that. I've never known anyone who had the Super Scope. Yeah, same here. I had, I had a friend that did because his parents did not know the value of money. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It is a. It is probably the most Nintendo thing Nintendo did in the era of the Super Nintendo, which is they looked at a concept that didn't need reinventing, the light gun, and they reinvented it to make it a bazooka. It wasn't reinventing the wheel. It was more like looking at a bike and going, that needs tank treads. I used it. I played it at my friend's house. And as awkward as it looks in this game, that is exactly how awkward it is in real life. It's not comfortable. It's um, the eyepiece gets very warm very quickly and kind of is quite tough and hard and sticks into your eye socket. And it's also very easy to misalign it. So you can't actually aim properly, not in the slightest. So, uh, no, I I thought it was a terrible peripheral and probably (laughs) one of the worst ones they ever made for the Super Nintendo. Uh, Matthew, how about you? Did you uh, have a Super Scope or at least play one? No, didn't know anybody who had one, and I'm glad to hear the reviews that it was crap. Uh, Presumably all the reviews came from people who, like us, only knew the rich kids who could afford it and just slated it (laughs) without even playing it. And and rightly so as well. Especially with such high-concept gaming as the one we're seeing on Games Master now. And one of the highlights of this episode is the fact that no one seems to want to really big up this light gun game which is about as basic a game as you can get and realising, oh, this is going to make great TV, is it? Uh, yeah, honestly, I didn't know anyone who had a, uh, a Super Scope, so I've never actually played one. I've never even played one sort of like post 
you know, in my 20s or 30s when they're sort of more readily available. But I do remember thinking at the time that it was quite cool because it was like, a, you know, an evolution of the, the light gun into this big hulking bazooka thing that sat on your shoulder. It was very early 90s. And I always thought it looked kind of rad. And keeping the moles in the holes under control tonight from East London, please welcome Adam Freeman. This is a totally different video game altogether. Yeah, this is a bazooka and you hold it on your shoulder and you need quite a steady hand to use it. Okay, you've had a couple of practices. For this one, you've got to get 17 moles in a minute. How well have you been doing? Well, I've played it once, so it'll be quite a tough challenge. Uh, but yeah, this game is Mole Patrol. The idea is you've got to shoot the purple moles. Uh, don't shoot the pink ones because it makes the purple ones go faster. And playing this game, keeping the moles in the holes and under control, it's Adam Freeman, uh, who actually calls the Super Scope a bazooka that you've got to put on your shoulder. He loves it. Well... He kind of loves it, but he also doesn't know how to hold it because when Dominic hands him the large protuberance, he immediately holsters it on the wrong shoulder and then looks like a bit of a tit in the episode because he realises the eyepiece is away from his head. <laughs> yeah. But he also admits that he's literally only played this game once. Yeah, he's a boisterous young fellow, but he's not very confident, as you say, because he's only played the game once. Uh, Jeremy Doldry from Zero Magazine is in the booth and he says that you definitely don't want to shoot the pink ones because it makes the blue ones go a hell of a lot faster. So a child here, Adam Freeman, has got to get 17 of these molds in under a minute and he's actually pretty good at the game for you know in this in the opening goings he gets four right off the bat he's down to 10 with 40 seconds to go he's then got six to go and then it all goes a bit tits up for him i said of course he's of course he's good at the game after one try you know hear how passionate he was the only reason he couldn't <laughs> afford a super scope is because he spent all his money on a copy of catcher in the rye <laughs> And uh, well, uh, uh, such a deep game like Mole Patrol, where literally the Zero Magazine guys get a paycheck to go uh, shoot the purple ones. Cool. <laughs> yeah, he pretty much just repeats what Games Master had said not five seconds earlier. Yeah, uh, don't shoot that. Don't shoot the kids in the audience. Um, don't shoot your foot. Uh, what else? Um, <laughs> hold it the right way around. Yeah, it's a stunningly de deep game. You might need to change the batteries at the halfway mark because that thing, unlike a Nez Zapper, ran off AA batteries. It had six. Bloody it hell. had six AA batteries, and they had the average runtime of a 1980s remote control car. So you got five minutes, and boom, that was it. it I am shocked that it was double A's. Like if you'd have said like it was, you know, the big bulky ones, I'd have been like, yeah, no, that makes sense. Like three of those, yeah, that makes sense. Double A seems very indulgent. They'd have had the room in the bloody thing to fit six, like, D-cell batteries <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. For essentially a kid's peripheral, it was a chunk of plastic. Maybe they made it knowing what lay ahead with the Super Mario Brothers movie and it's like, hey, we might have an ability to market this down the road. That's right, yeah. The Super Scope does make a cameo appearance in the, uh, in the Super Mario Brothers movie as the, oh, what's it called? The de-evolution de gun. I should know. I wrote a book about this. The Devo gun. Thank you very much. Yeah, they shorten the name down. Monkey. Monkey. Um, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, Adam does hit one of the pink ones and it does make them go a heck of a lot faster, but he sort of recovers from it a little bit and he's only got two more to get, but then runs out of time. However, in fairness to him, when he's only got two more to go, only one more blue mole showed up in the time that he had left. So even if he had hit that other blue mole, he still wouldn't have completed the challenge. And as Dominic Diamond puts it, he's blown out on this challenge. Oh, with only two more left to get. And 
unfortunately, Adam has blown out on this challenge. Well, thank you. Adam, that was desperately close there. You only had two moles left. Where did it go wrong? I think it was when I shot the red mole by mistake. To the best of my knowledge, the pattern of the moles in this game was random. It wasn't like a lot of the uh, American laser type games we've seen that have been the previous light gun games, or even to a degree Duck Hunt, where you could learn a pattern. These things, it was like it was essentially a light gun whack-a-mole. They just popped up in whatever order they felt. And if you were running to a time limit, as this kind of artificially imposed one was, because uh, when Games Master introduces the game, you see the real clock in the background and it's like it starts at 130 seconds or thereabouts. But yeah, if you're running down the clock and the blue moles don't come up, you're f***ed. That's it. There's no mm. way you can win it. Yeah, poor Andy Freeman. Can't play the Super Scope anymore. Let's go back to sending messages to Jodie Foster. Uh, well, uh, <clears throat> I appreciated well, that joke. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Dominic Diamond says that he was desperately close and uh, the kid very rightly just says, he goes, yep, I shot a red mole by mistake. And you know what? He's not wrong. That's exactly where his challenge went wrong. And that is why he lost it. Well, he was wrong because it wasn't red. It was pink. Oh, well, yeah, fair, fair point. Fair point. I was going to say, I was surprised to see that this game would be featured on Games Master. Like Nintendo were like, yeah, can, can you focus on the most boring basic game that's in that six pack or whatever you get? I think this was very much just a let's show off the peripheral as opposed to because like, as I said, it, it looks like a cool peripheral. If you're, you know, I mean, this is what 92. So I'm ne I'm coming up to being seven years old. I looked at that peripheral and thought it would look super cool. So, yeah, I, I thought it would like it made sense to have that the light gun on there, like having the super scope on there. But you're right. It's not the most dynamic game uh, to show off the uh, show off the scope skills but i what other games came out for the super scope uh the mario one where you can shoot yoshi in the back of the head uh i don't know why you'd want to do that but that is a feature in the game <laughs> super donkey punch <laughs> super donkey punch <laughs> and i think maybe you're right maybe as a kid i would have seen this and gone wow i want a huge gray bazooka and pretend i'm a rob leefield drawing but <laughs> right now as an adult i think it would have been a more exciting challenge to see that kid unpack all the batteries and see if he could fit them in the super scope at the same time that they were given to shoot those moles. <laughs> you've got you've got a minute to do it, kid. Good luck. So I've just looked up because I couldn't remember what else was on Super Scope 6. And I tell you what, to call it Super Scope 6 is a bloody cheat because the six games are Blastris, Blastris B, Laser Blazer A, Laser Blazer B, <laughs> Laser Blazer C, and Mole Patrol. So this is like one of those bootleg game cartridges or retro <laughs> handholds you get where you actually just get five variants of Mario Brothers and then 33 variants of Columns. <laughs> and I think the reason they chose Mole Patrol is because it was the simplest and also it was technically the only game that was unique and wouldn't require some weird explanation as to why this was one of like three variants on the same goddamn game. So, okay, so because this is going to expose my, my lack of knowledge here, but were there any other like different like games released that required the super scope like or was it literally just you got to play these six games and that was it no there were some other games um i can go, i've actually got the list up here uh, t2 the arcade game was compatible oh okay that's cool that that'd be a good one i imagine um yeah yoshi's safari as was mentioned by matthew where you donkey punch yoshi uh <laughs> lamborghini american challenge I mean, with a super <laughs> drive-by simulator, maybe. Maybe this is leading back to Catcher in the Rye. Uh, and also, yeah. an unlikely pairing, 
the bonus games of the Hunt for Red October, which also reminds me that they made a Hunt for Red October game for the Super Nintendo, because when you look at the movie Hunt for Red October, what you think is, this needs a tie-in. <laughs> I'm just thinking as well, actually, the, the Mario punching Yoshi thing, that happens in all of the Mario games, though, right? Like, that's how he makes him stick out his tongue. Like, that animation of him, like making Yoshi is him punching him in the back of their heads. You say that, but I've never seen it like that until people explain that's what he was doing. I thought he was just doing what Cowboy's doing was like, yeehaw! And Yoshi was yeah. going, yeehaw and Yoshi. So, <laughs> And people are like, no, he's, 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 he's smacking him daft. I'm like, no. Mario wouldn't do that. <laughs> Mario literally kicks turtles to death. He would absolutely punch a dinosaur in the back of the head. Repeatedly. Also, a little note here for X Zone, no one of these Super Scope games. A little note on Wikipedia just says the game has been criticised for its brutally difficult hard mode. There have been no videos on beating the game in hard mode on real hardware. <laughs> Amazing. That's a real kind of leftover of the 8 bit era of games where some games were designed to be unbeatable because they just couldn't be asked to finish them. Mm. The Spectrum was good for that, for creating games that literally couldn't be finished. They were broken. I actually encountered a broken game last week. I was playing Top Banana on the Amiga. That's right, you were doing it on our new Twitch channel. Yeah, and I got to the end of, like, level three. Of the three games that I played, it was the one I was doing the best at, which is kind of disheartening. But I got to the top of level three, and it was impossible to jump to the next platform. There was ah. no way up. And... I came to the conclusion that either the game was bugged or the copy I had under emulation was broken. Either way, it was kind mm. of a dour ending to the stream, so <laughs> I went off and played Magic Pockets to go home happy. And everyone goes home happy with Magic Pockets. Uh, well, overall, I thought it was a, a half-decent challenge. I really didn't mind it, to be honest. It was, you know, very very simple but i i thought that the super scope thing was cool so uh yeah i i, I thought it was an okay challenge well retrospectively we rightfully ripped the piss out of the super scope it was nice to see a light gun game that was new and something that you could potentially if you had parents with more money than sense have at home previously we'd had duck hunt which was old news by that point and a bunch of american laser games which you were never going to get in your house at all. You might, you'd be lucky to even see them in, in most arcades or, you know, chip shops or whatever over here. So from the perspective of selling stuff for Christmas, that was a good move. Math, what do you think? I had more fun using it in Super Smash Brothers Melee. <laughs> <laughs> that is truly the legacy of the Super Scope, is its appearance in Super Smash Brothers. Hey, hey, hey. And the Super Mario Brothers movie. We've already discussed this. Monkey! Arguably, it's the most video game accurate thing in the Super Mario Brothers movie. <laughs> just by virtue of the fact they couldn't even be asked to set dress it. Yeah, two seconds after Mario uses the gun on Bowser, he just punches Yoshi in the back of the head for no reason. <laughs> You're not Jurassic Park. <laughs> This week we have a measured tamper with the past as we look at historical simulations. First up on the Super NES, keep citizens happy with a firmer pound in SimCity. It's absolutely endless and the pleasure is phenomenal and even if you get brilliant, which I nearly did, uh, you've got this option of introducing huge disasters like tidal waves which wipe half your city out and you've got to begin again. You want to sack the council and lynch the planners? You got it. You want a massive erection in the middle of the high street? You've got it. It's all the fun of building without the dirty hands and the builder's bum. 
definitely one for the collection. So this week, our review section is historical simulations and- I just wish to raise an issue. Mm -hmm. How? How are they historical? Well, SimCity, I mean, yeah, you're right. Um, but I mean, that's that's the that's the broad stroke that we've been given today is that it's historical simulations. Is this the first week we've had, though, where there haven't been any... We must have had one in Series 1 where there were no video game journalists in the actual review section. This was just, you know, three people. We had Isaiah Reichman, Duncan Willis, and Lucy Hickman. I, I actually, to be honest, I never even registered that they weren't journalists or they weren't gaming journalists. I just assumed, because they were all adults, that <laughs> they might have jobs involved in the game industry. Well, uh, our first game is SimCity for the Super Nintendo. Keep people happy with a firmer pound. Uh, Isaiah Reichman uh, says that the pleasure of the game is endless. And I particularly like this, but it's like, even if you get brilliant, which I nearly did... You can introduce disasters that will wipe your city out and you've got to start all over again. One of the things I've always loved about the Super Nintendo version of SimCity is it wasn't just a straight port of the PC and the home computer version. They really worked to make it kind of a flagship title for the SNES and to make it their own. So it was no longer a nondescript Godzilla ripoff. It was Bowser destroying the city. They introduced a new guide character called Dr. Wright, who was based on Will Wright, who was behind the game. And yeah, it, it was a... It was a game that was remade to work on the console, and it was the first SimCity that I played. And to be honest, I don't think I've ever actually played SimCity. Certainly not the Super Nintendo version. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've played like some of the other, uh, the PC ones, like the later years they came out, like SimCity 2000 and things like that, but I don't think I've ever actually played the Super Nintendo SimCity. Yeah, plus one. No, it exists, <laughs> never played it. Uh, I do know that the a few years ago SimCity for the NES, the prototype, got found online and dumped and it's almost playable and other than mr wright's appearance as an assist trophy in smash brothers don't know anything that happens in it yeah the uh, the nes version was demoed at uh, ces 91 but never released as you say but uh, yeah eventually prototypes of it were released uh, and are basically playable uh, i did quite like that when i have seen sort of footage of it i like the fact that you do get bowser in there and you can get a mario statue uh later on if you get to like a certain level of the game you get to either have a big mario statue in your i, I can't remember if my cousin had it because my cousin did have a super nintendo and i can't remember if he did have sim city but if he did that would have been the only time i would have seen it uh, aside from sort of videos on the internet in later years i mean as i mentioned i think it was back in episode four i had a friend and he was only allowed to lend out two of his super nintendo games one was this and the other was stunt race fx and i chose sim city and that was absolutely the right decision because stunt race fx was awful and is still awful <laughs> It's no that, rock that. and roll racing. Rock and roll racing oh, is dang. amazing. Exactly right. What what isn't to like about stunt race FX apart from the five frames per second? <laughs> I could draw a car race quicker than an actual race takes place in that game. Uh, well, Duncan Willis makes an erection joke, a very simple erection joke, where it says you can build a massive erection in the high street, and Lucy Hickman says it's all the fun of building without the builder's bums. A fantastic and whopping 94% for SimCity on the Super Nintendo. And Duncan Willis made an erection joke then, but what's he got to say about the review now?
And joining me on the line now is none other than Duncan Willis, uh, who we just heard from there reviewing SimCity in, on Gamesmaster. Duncan, how are you? Hi, I'm very well, thanks, Luke. How are you? I'm very, very well. Thank you very much. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. It's, um, we've really enjoyed like speaking with people and catching up with people that worked on the show as we go through it episode by episode. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you got involved with working on this episode of Gamesmaster. Um, well, it's a long time ago. I, I don't really remember too much about how I got involved. I can't remember whether I saw an advert in a magazine or whether it was um, uh, a call out for people to participate at the end of one of the earlier shows. I really can't remember now. Um, <clears throat> all I can remember is that um, I had not long had uh, a Nintendo NES system and was getting quite into it. And um, I thought, well, what a great way to get free games. You know, review them for a TV show. They're, they're bound to send you the games so you can play them uh, in order to be able to re re review them. And um, um, what, a, what a brilliant idea because the games were quite expensive and uh, I didn't have a lot of money. And uh, <laughs> my idea of what was going to happen proved to be very far of the mark, actually. Uh, so, so what happened then? Basically, I didn't really get much time at all to, to play the games before having to review them. I had to go to a studio in London, in Soho, a basement studio, I remember. And uh, because the show was supposedly set on a, an oil rig, they got uh, a very low level of lighting for recording the reviews. And um, uh, so you know, it was kind of a dingy surroundings. Uh, to my surprise, um, the, the games were, many of them were pre-production games, so they were actually not much more, in fact, nothing more than circuit boards shoved into consoles. Mm. Um, so there was no question of <laughs> any freebies or whatever, or indeed having any meaningful, meaningful uh, time to play the game in order to come up with a review of it. As I say, it was, it, the, the lighting conditions for the filming were deliberately dark to make it look like the reviewers were in uh, some kind of a... I don't know, depressurization um, cabinet or something yeah. on the oil rig. And um, so I did, I, I sort of cobbled together what I could, what little I knew about the games from basically just not much more than a few minutes of playing any of them. Oh, and um, so it was filmed and uh, I went home and that was that. And uh, a little while later, I got a call to say that uh, a lot of the footage they'd shot was unusable because it was too dark. And would I go back up to Soho and reshoot it, and uh, which I was ha happy to do. But um, they hadn't paid my expenses the first time around, so I dug my heels in and said, "Well, okay, yes, I'll do it, but um, I want expenses this time, as it was your uh, cock up, so to speak." Yeah. And um, uh, they they agreed to pay, and and I was a little better prepared this time. I kind of knew what I was going to, and I'd just written a, a, a load of bumps and one-liners really, which is what they told me that they enjoyed or liked from my first uh, abortive um, appearance in front of the cameras. And uh, so I just winged it, basically. They used um, literally uh, like a sentence from me and from the other reviewers about each of the games uh, when they broadcast the show. And there was no, no question of uh, any of us, I think, um, actually contributing to the percentage rating that the games were given. It was just a matter of that, that was obviously done by Hopefully, someone who's had a bit more access to the games than we did. 
because like a game like SimCity is it's not something you can really get a feel for after just a couple of minutes like it's a game that you really need to throw yourself into to uh yeah. to, to really understand and appreciate so it's it's quite I, I don't know how you would almost go about talking about a game like SimCity that you've only really picked up for about five minutes um, no, that was quite a problem, really. Uh, and um, I, I, I wanted to be fair to the games in, in anything that I said, but I, I just treated it all as a joke, to be honest with you. The, you know, the line that was used um, was just something that really had no relevance to the game. It was just something I came out with as a, as a one-liner, and uh, they, they obviously liked it, and that's what they used out of all the nonsense that I spoke about <laughs> games that I'd really not, not had any experience of at all. But uh, there we are. It was, it was an interesting experience. I, uh, Dominic Diamond was there in, in the studio for the filming of the reviews. I don't recall very much interaction at all with him. I, I briefly spoke with him, I do remember. And one of the problems I personally had was that um, I have the memory of a goldfish. And so I'd stand in front of the camera and I'd written on cards what I wanted to say about each of the games. And I'd look at them, look at the camera, and my mind would instantly go blank. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, I was actually spent quite a lot of time in front of the camera, and, and nobody, um, nobody was prompting me, or I wasn't really getting any direction as to what to do. It was, um, it was all kind of bizarre, really. <laughs> but uh, there we are, uh, an interesting experience. So, I mean, because the line that you used was, you know, you can have a, a giant erection in the middle of the town, which was very in keeping with Games Master as a whole. So had you seen the first series and sort of not, sort of worked out the tone that they wanted for it? Because it, did re it felt very in line with what the show was doing at that point. I had seen some. Uh, I don't think I'd seen all of them. Yes, I hadn't seen all of the first series. I had seen some of them, but I'll be honest with you, that line is more me than than it was anything designed to be oh, to okay. Games Master. Um, you know, uh, I kind of had that uh, sort of sense of humor all of my life. <laughs> and, uh, I just sort of, I, I tapped into that. And really, as I say, I, I, I couldn't say anything specific about any of the games because I didn't know the games. I hadn't mm. had the opportunity to get to know the games at all. And um, of course, I, I mean, there was one of the games was um, for the PC. And at that time, the only video games I got any experience of were on the NES console. Uh, it was a, yes, it was a game about... Um, it was a KGB. KGB, yes. Yeah. So before I went up, um, to the studio, I think the second time, I did a little bit of research and found out the, what KGB stood for in Russian. So I, I memorized that. Um, something like Komitet Gosudaspanoi Bezopaznosti, or something like that. Anyway, basically the Russian secret police. And so again, literally, I winged it around that and, and a few of the images I'd seen and remember from the game. Um, so I don't, I'm not sure. I don't think they use any of my review of KGB, um, but uh, I might have done. Can't remember. Long, long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> Was it just those two games that they brought you in for, or did you like play or you know get to see a bunch of games that they might have used for future episodes, or was it literally mm -hmm. just like we're going to bring you in and you just talk about these two games and then that's that? It was actually three games, and yes, it was just those three games, and. Um, uh, they never asked me back. I thought I might get, you know, I might get a paid job out of it. <laughs> Not a chance. Um, but, you know, I realised now it was all. It was, it was 
was just an interesting experience for me, a fun experience. I was glad I did it. Do you know what the third game was? Because the episode uh, actually has two of them in there because then they've got a very long feature uh, about Evie Amos. So there's actually only two reviews featured on the episode. So do you remember what the third one was? Um, uh, no, I don't. I've only got a very hazy recollection, but I'm pretty sure there was a third game. And I'm also fairly certain that one of the researchers for the show subsequently told me after I'd done my review, and the other people have reviewed it as well, that they couldn't use the review in the show because the manufacturer of the game had been very unhappy about a previous review uh, on Games Master of one of their products, and so withdrew their permission. I actually, the funny thing is, the um, I only discovered that that episode was on YouTube when someone actually contacted me and tagged me in on it. And so, it was, you know, Duncan, is this you? And I, I had a look at it. And thought, oh, gosh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's kind of something that I did at the time and, and kind of you know, forgot about it for a long, long time, really. And uh, I, I, funny enough, as I got older, I've got, I had children. My, my daughters were born in the 90s. So Pippa was um, born in 1993 and Catherine in 97. And as they grew up, I introduced them to the NES and then the Super NES. And then they went on and did their own, you know, that they really got into gaming. Unfortunately, I discovered that as games got more complex, uh, I suffer from motion sickness. So I couldn't play any 3D game oh, wow. uh, without oh, right. feeling ill. So yeah. really, my interest in games is static. And still, my all-time favorite game is Mario 3. Uh, yeah. I love that old platformer. I think it's... a fantastic game and i can't really tell you much about any game past that frankly <laughs> i still play it I, you know i've got it on various different formats when they brought out the um, mini nes and then the mini super nes i i bought both of those and um, purely so that i'd have mario 3 again i love That's that fantastic. game yeah. Uh, have your daughters seen your appearance on Games Master? Oh, uh, yeah, that's just another thing they're embarrassed about that I've done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, uh, it's just dad. <laughs> Being dad. <laughs> Making dad uh, jokes. <laughs> Become one of those wacky pre-Glasnost secret police funksters in KGB. The graphics are gorgeous, the idea is intelligent, and there's a serious challenge here. There's options galore, and it's the type of game that you'll keep coming back to again and again and again. So I don't think it's the highest score we've had in the series so far, but it's still a very, very, very impressive score, and it's almost as big as our next game, KGB for the PC. We're back to this whole history issue because technically this game was set in 1991, so by the slimmest of chances, technically 91 is history compared to 1992. There you go. You see, so they were right all along, Ash. Mm. This is a historical simulation. <laughs> Only by the slimmest margins of kind of the fall of the KGB. Apparently the game is absolutely nailed as well. Like it features an in-game clock and the, you've got like a certain amount of time to do things. And there are, if you get wrong answers in the game, it can end it immediately. Also, if you, you can make an error, but won't know you've made an error until hours later. Apparently the game is absolutely nailed. I mean, I, this is the first time I've ever really seen and or heard of it, but it sounds quite cool. Like, it sounds pretty, you know, in-depth and, and really, really hard. It is. Also, you can, via a menu, pick a fight with 
anyone in the game. You can be interviewing a little old lady about her neighbour and then just decide you want to beat her around the head with a lead pipe. And sometimes you will win these fights and sometimes you will lose them, but they will have implications as the game goes on. It also got a re-release. They decided they wanted to jazz it up for the CD-ROM era by filming Donald Sutherland with a terrible accent and a terrible outfit to play the ghost of your character's father. And it sticks out exactly as much as it sounds like it does. It doesn't sit well in the game at all. Can you start a fight with the ghost of Donald Sutherland? (laughs) No, because those sections are not interactive because they were literally shoehorned into the game a year after its development cycle ended. Oh, I see. So this is to coincide with the CD-ROM boom of uh, games like Riven and Seventh Guest. So they had him actually playing Myst. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, my question was going to be, is his acting as good as uh, Tim Curry's Space? Space! In Command and Conquer. Nothing as good as Tim Curry's (laughs) Space! (laughs) Space! <laughs> I was gonna say, I'm not surprised to hear Donald Sutherland did a bad performance here or didn't really try for a video game, considering he couldn't be asked to remember his lines for the Buffy the Vampire Slayer original film. So they had to try and change the plot around his mistakes because they didn't dare correct him. <laughs> I do always love hearing stories of like, you know, these classic actors in sort of modern day era movies when they have sort of given up. It's the Marlon Brando on the set of The Island of Dr. Monroe with the earpiece that was getting frequency interferences from local police and local airports so he was just repeating what they were also saying <laughs> so every now and again to be like plane is ready to take off <laughs> uh, well back to KGB Duncan says the graphics are gorgeous steering the ship back into Ritalin Bay this is where I go and Lucy says you'll come back to it again and again a very respectable 84% uh, I think I might, you know, I might look into it at some point if you do decide to track it down uh, one, go for the original release, not the weird CD-ROM version. Also, play the Amiga version under emulation because it's better than the PC version. The The sound is just a lot better because Amiga sound was further along than PC sound at the time. Now it's time for our competition. At one time or another, we've all felt an urge, a creative desire to sow the wild oats of new video game ideas. To quell the surge, we'd like you to design your own game with Amos, the mega-selling software package which simplifies the whole game designing process so even the least cerebral amongst us could produce the kind of games funking about here. Not only will we feature the most pant-wettingly brilliant one on the show, but this may be your chance to become a programming legend. If your game is commercially viable, has the power to beat other games that the industry produces, Europress Software will market that game and you will receive royalties and an advanced sum. So get writing games now. If you wish to rally to Richard's passionate battle cry, the games that you send in to us don't necessarily have to be completed as long as you support your entry with some artwork and design notes. Send your games to Games Master Designer Game Competition, PO Box 91, London E14 9GT. The closing date is January the 1st, 1993. So we've only got two reviews this week because Games Master are holding a competition asking you, the viewers at home, if you can make a new game using the Amos best-selling 
computer game package to make your very own game. And Dominic says they will feature all of the pant-wettingly good ones. And best yet, Richard Varner from Europress says that if it's commercially viable and has the power to beat other games, they will publish it and you will get royalties and an advanced sum. I've got to say, at seven years old, I would have been so super psyched about this, being like, what, I can make my own game? And I would have got it and then never understood what I actually had to do in order to make the game. And I'd just been like, nope, I don't get it. I guess I will never make a game now. They did make the game making process look far easier than in reality it was, even with Easy Amos, which does sound like a rather unfortunate nickname for a character in Last of the Summer Wine. <laughs> that joke will go over so well with our American listeners who are already batting no, you know against... What? I liked it. <laughs> there are people listening to this show that are already batting against the odds for understanding half of what we're saying. That one doesn't stand a chance. I watch a lot of Games Master. I don't remember if this culminated in a thing. Do you know if it did? I don't know if it makes it on the show, but I do know that there was a winner and the winner got published. The person <gasps> got their advanced sum, they got their royalties, and they got to make another four games in the series, at least, plus a number of cover disc exclusives. So this <gasps> get actually paid off. Wow. What was the game? Wow. It was called Charlie Chimp. <laughs> Yeah, the build-up wasn't... Yeah, smells like really that, 92. ...rewarded. Um, I will say I've actually looked up a playthrough of the game of the first one, and it is a very simple game. There's some tropes in there that you recognise as being wholesale lifted from other earlier platformers, but it actually looks pretty damn polished. Like, it, it the graphics look reasonable... They, they look good for kind of a, a modest budget Amiga platformer of the time, but it was also only made with like two or three people for the finished game. So obviously you had the main guy behind it, and then I guess a couple of people came in to help finish it off and get it ready for release. But it's the fact that Charlie Chimp went on for a career after this. I looked this up ready to read that it was a shit show of a competition, no good games came in, and that nothing commercially viable was released. And fuck me if I wasn't wrong, because it did. <laughs> wow, it's the, the pop idol of 1992, Charlie Chimp. <laughs> Charlie Chimp was Susan Boyle for the Games Master generation. <laughs> I was surprised to see them doing the, hey kids, are you developing games in your bedroom? Wow, you should come work for us, because that would have worked, you know, Five years ago, that's how Sensible Software and all the rest got their start. But by 1992, it was a bit outdated, surely? So it would have been 92, maybe 93. But my friend Craig and I, we did make a game we designed a game when i say we made a game we didn't actually program anything we just did some really good drawings and came up with like level designs and stuff because we thought that's pretty much what making a game was um and we did send it off to a publisher and sort of like you know as we had stamped you know send it off and be like we would like to make this game we think it would be really good you know there's your seven-year-old handwriting and stuff and they actually wrote us back and we got to because our teacher was very very impressed by this and they made us read the letter out in front of the class and it was just a very polite letter that just said we really liked your design we think it would be a lot of fun if we do decide to proceed with this we will be in touch and we did things to ourselves obviously now you know my 35 year old state i know that that was just a very polite way to say yep yeah, cool kid um, this will be a 
very nice thing for you to frame but at the time it was like oh my god we were that we thought that was it we're set now we're going to be games designers for the rest of our lives never thought i'd actually be sat here instead but yeah i i, I did think at one point it, it could have happened for anyone what was the game yeah. idea i'm really curious now i was struggling to remember i seem to think it was called ham and eggs and it was they were like a so it was like a buddy cop thing and they were like so one of them was like a ration of bacon and the other one was you know a, a fried egg <laughs> who were cops i'm pretty sure that's what it was i'm hooked that's pretty all right actually yeah. you know what i was i don't know what to expect from you but i was expecting that yeah if, if yeah. not a video game that's an adult swim series waiting to happen <laughs> that's the next that's the next bojack horseman that's 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 where that one's going from well if you're listening netflix uh feedback at underconsultation.com uh, you can hear from my lawyers <laughs> well going into our celebrity challenge games master has disassociated himself with the abject depravity so instead we're going to a special correspondent the British Bulldog. This is the British Bulldog of the World Wrestling Federation. It's your chance to take part in the rustle and bustle of Super WrestleMania for Super Nintendo systems. You've got to do anything to win. Backdrops, body slam, suplex. You've got to have your opponent kissing the canvas because the first fall decides the victor. And heed the words of the British Bulldog. Nobody likes to lose. I've said my piece. Back to you. Games master. British Bulldog, who sounds like he's in a cupboard when he's recording this. You can really hear the walls. There's like all the sound just bouncing right back and it's like, I'm the British Bulldog, here to tell you about Super WrestleMania on the Super Nintendo. He invites us to take part in the Russell and Bustle. <laughs> yeah. We all love the Bulldog over here. We all love him. We love him for SummerSlam 92. We love him for the, the Heart Foundation classics, the British Bulldogs tag team, etc, etc, etc. Even the people who love him to death have to admit he was god-awful on the mic. <laughs> it was not the world's greatest promo. Tonight, we're going to play the game Super WrestleMania tonight. You know, he's just <laughs> stream of consciousness style of writing. When I mean, he's not doing the, the dialogue of Naked Lunch, he's trying to put a promo together. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and even better for people out there who are sad bastards like myself, the British Bulldogs here. And he's holding a copy of the Super Nintendo version of WWF Super WrestleMania, aka the version of the game he wasn't in. Yeah, I was going to say he was only in the Mega Drive version. <laughs> His star was only just on the rise at this point, if I remember correctly. Well, yeah. See, about that, um, <laughs> Bruce Bulldog had just done SummerSlam 92. The biggest of big deals still talked about to this day of being one of the best attendances WWF ever did. And it was in England. Hey, oh, good times, yeah, yeah. The only worthwhile yeah. pay-per-view we've ever had for the main brand. Sure. <laughs> and, yeah, wow, British Bulldog. And was there because of the European expansion WWF was doing at the time? Deal with Sky. I went back to either 89 or 90, I forget now. I haven't got my notes in front of me. But Europe has always been important to WWF. So having British Bulldog there is fine. I'm pretty sure he... He was gone by this point. I'll have to check now. I've just realised because the timeline was SummerSlam 92 and then he had this weird thing of Survivor Series 92 was the next pay-per-view. Well, what happened on that show? Oh, I'm glad you asked. The Ultimate Warrior and British Bulldog uh, were let go and when it's one of these conspiracies, uh, not starring Donald Sutherland, about the fact that WF was about to come under scrutiny for that whole 
these guys, these really big guys with the four-shoulder look. Yeah, um, how are they doing that? And they're like, oh, I don't know, mate, just eat lots of cornflakes and milk, I guess. So those two are left, and the, they've never said officially, but it's like, well, they're the two biggest honkers there. So if we get rid of them, maybe they'll leave us alone. So in TV time, he was technically employed. In real time, he may not have been. Also, going back to the cupboard that he was in, that was a cupboard probably in Stamford, Connecticut, because that wasn't a UK copy of the Super WrestleMania he was holding. Oh, no, that was an American copy. And you can tell because the artwork is aligned differently on the UK and American versions. Uh-huh. They didn't even stick him on a plane, probably because he wouldn't have made it through security, but they didn't even stick him on a plane. And so last week's episode did end with Dominic Diamond saying that uh, we're going to have Hacksaw Jim Duggan and the British Bulldog here. And you and I made the joke on the episode that, well, one of them is there, which now makes me think if he was in America holding that, if the challenge was originally going to be the Bulldog versus Duggan, rather than Duggan comes in to pull a child out of the crowd and and have a match with him instead. Maybe, but I think we actually got the better end of the deal, because no offence to either of them, but, well, maybe some, but that would have been a fucking <laughs> show of British Bulldog versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan, because as we'll discover, Duggan, he's a better gamer than Kendo Nagasaki was. Yeah. <laughs> But he has some real issues with the controller. This is our second wrestling tie-in, but more specifically the WWF, because although it was Kendo Nagasaki in in Series 1, at the end of that challenge, not only did the kid win the Golden Joystick, he also won a WWF Championship belt. Because Hewland did do stuff with Sky, and obviously, as, as Matthew was talking about, Sky had the connection with WWF, so I wonder if there was some connection between Hewland and the WWF that meant they were getting, you know, the stars over, as well as giving away replica belts and stuff. Tonight, Dominic Diamond, British Bulldog's not going to be asked playing the game because he's no longer <laughs> employed by WWF, so they can stick it. So tonight, I'm going to lose via forfeit, then go and have a kebab tonight. <laughs> So he says you've got to do anything you can to win backdrops, body slams and suplexes and have your opponent kissing the canvas before the first fall decides the victor. Heed the words of the British Bulldog. Where's my title shot? Sorry, no. <laughs> Nobody likes to lose. Heed my words. Winners do drugs. <laughs> Speaking of doing Tonight. drugs. <laughs> and also, ripping on Bulldogs... <laughs> It's like playing a game of all the cheats on, really, but it does say WF Super WrestleMania, available for all Super Nintendo systems. So, you know, Super Nintendo. <laughs> yeah. uh, bless us up. Bulldog, unfortunately, no longer with us. Uh, he had a, a, a myriad of, of issues in his personal lives. Yeah, he sadly passed away in 2002. Um, you know, as I said, myriad of complications, including, you know, pain addictions because or pain pill addictions because he had a lot of injuries over the years, including that terrible sort of back injury he suffered in uh, WCW that really had his final run in the WWF that ended in 2000. 2001 it was 2000 kicking and screaming all the way because they just signed the deal with channel 4 but bulldog on pay-per-view at royal rumble he looked the same color as an uncooked hot dog uh bless him he could barely take a bump on his back 
and they went, oh. hey, look, there's William Regal in slightly better Nick. Let's swap them out. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we are playing the Super Nintendo version. The Mega Drive version was the better version of the game, if I was to put a stake on it, because it did have the tournament for the WWF Championship. Uh, the SNES version, uh, so we, we would decide which had the better roster then, because the SNES version had Jake Roberts, Undertaker, Sid, the Legion of Doom, and Natural Disasters, while the Mega Drive version had Ultimate Warrior, Papa Shango, IRS, Bulldog, and Shawn Michaels. You had me at Papa Shango. I'm good. <laughs> you can keep them. <laughs> Snez easily better there with a the roster. Not even a contest. There's only one man in the whole of the WWF who was hard enough to take on Bulldog's challenge. Please welcome the ferocious might of Hacksaw Jim Duggan! <laughs> Now, Jim, I take you on myself tonight, but I don't want to get my jacket creased. No, 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 that's not the way we do it. Oh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, I want to do it fair and square, so we'll ask for some volunteers out of the audience. How about it, folks? Any volunteers up there? Let's see some hands. Okay, we're going to tackle Jim Duggan. I think they're too scared, Jim. I think they're bottling. But I flew all the way over here this morning, to especially to play this game. I'm and sorry. these folks don't want to play this game. As a matter of fact, I don't think I'm I want to talk no. to you anymore. No. So let me make it fair and square. I've got one thing in mind, and that's to play some games, WWF Super Nintendo. And I'm going to play. Here I come. This way. So yeah, Bulldog isn't actually here to do this challenge, but there's only one man hard enough to take on his challenge, and it's Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Now, we have spoken to someone who worked on this series of Games Master, and when I asked him about celebrity guests, the first name that came to his mind was Hacksaw Jim Duggan. He said, I was looking after him for the whole day, and he was so quiet, he was just so polite, just really you know, happy to be there. He goes, but as soon as those cameras were on, he just exploded with all of this energy, and they had to do the takes a, a couple of times because Dominic Diamond corpses a lot throughout this and he just starts throwing him all over the show before storming up into the thing. He comes down the stairs trying to get a USA chance going in the United Kingdom <laughs> and then he's like I want to do this fair and square tough guy. The crowd are too scared. I flew all the way over here. I want to play WWF Super Nintendo and he just starts storming <laughs> off into the crowd to go grab kids. This was at the kind of like the low end of Jim Duggan's career because this was in his second run in the WWF after the DUI and possession which he got by sharing a car with the Iron Sheik and if you share a car with the Iron Sheik and don't think he's carrying narcotics do you even know the Iron Sheik <laughs> but yeah he cuts his promo he goes off on one he's literally throwing Dominic Diamond about ripping off his shirt <laughs> and I've summarised all this just with the line Jim cuts a promo. <laughs> <laughs> this was a man who got his position in life. He, you know, is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's spider ham. You know, <laughs> comes out, big beard, the, t the two by four and everything. And again, yeah, he would, you laugh at the kids and everyone else joining him with doing the USA chant. Every country Duggan would go to would do the USA chant. All the UK rampages would think like, oh, oh, oh. USA, <laughs> USA. <laughs> 
And the, when he's walking up the stairs, and like, you know, as you said, he's got his shirt taken off. He wants to play WWF Super Nintendo. He goes to the crowd. The kids are legit running away from him. And he just walks around <laughs> and he just looks at this kid and he goes, you, you'll do, and just grabs him and just walks off. I've written here, that was mad and brilliant. I absolutely loved it. Also want to give full props to Jim Duggan for being a safe worker because that fireman's carry is textbooks, including hooking the kid's <laughs> arm so he can't slip off the shoulder. <laughs> or escape. Or escape. <laughs> uh, what's your name? Hayden Croft. And where are you from, Hayden? Birmingham. And how do you fancy your chances against Hagsaw? Well, uh, he can probably beat me in real life, but... On the game, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just flash him, Lord. Let me tell you something, tough guy. You might be rough once we get up there, but I've been working these thumbs all week. I'm ready for you. And I think uh, Duggan's energy uh, rubs off in a way on our child here, Hayden Croft from Birmingham, because he thinks he thinks a hacksaw can beat him in real life, but not on this game. He's gonna flash him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what he was aiming for. I bet that sounded good in his head. He's like, yeah, I'm going to have a camera on me. I'm going to take on this wrestler. I've been picked out of the crowd, even though I was probably prepped about three hours previously in the dressing room. I know exactly what I'm going to say. Yeah, I'm going to flash him. <laughs> and Hexor cuts another promo on him saying that he's been working his thumbs all week. He's, he proper gets it, does Duggan. He does. Yeah, he's been working his thumbs all week, rolling. <laughs> <laughs> I've been sharing the car with Shiki, <laughs> Bulldog. <laughs> Duggan appeared as a playable character in WWF Superstars, the arcade, uh, WrestleMania Challenge for the NES, Legends of WrestleMania for the 360 and PS3, and WWE Supercard for your phones. But he's sadly not in uh, Super WrestleMania, and I would have been kind of pissed if he was, because he was a bit rubbish. Okay, if you'd like to see who wins this fearsome gravel, Hayden Croft or Hacksaw Jim Duggan, join us after the break. <laughs> Tracy, what's your last question? If you were to make me a drink, what would it be then? Fresh orange juice, cos you can squeeze me any day. <laughs> Honey, I'd make you a pot of tea, cos you'd go potty over me. Yeah. PG tips, cos PG picked the youngest, freshest tips of the tea bush, which makes PG almost as tasty as me. Sounds like your cup of tea, Chuck. Choose him. You can really taste the tips in PG. Acclaim Entertainment and the World Wrestling Federation proudly present Super WrestleMania for Sega Mega Drive with all the big moves from WWF Wrestling, including bone-shaking body slams, daring drop kicks, and electrifying elbow drops, powerfully performed by your favorite WWF superstars. WWF Super WrestleMania, just when you thought it was safe to get back in the ring. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. We sure hope you're enjoying this episode of Under Consultation with Mafu from Botchamania. Make sure you check him out on Twitter and the like. And if you want to support us a little bit more than you already are by listening to this show, head on over to patreon.com forward slash underconsolepod where you can hear next week's show a week early and ad-free, which features Jet and Shadow from Gladiators. And if you back at the £10 level, you'll get a super cool merch pack with a mug, stickers and badges. So support this show by kicking a little bit over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod from gillette comes sensor the razor that can sense and adjust to the individual needs of your face sensor blades are mounted on responsive springs to continuously sense and individually adjust to your face closer safer more comfortable gillette sensor together with the richness of gillette gel for a shave that is unsurpassed Welcome back. Hacksaw Jim Duggan flew out to the Games Master Rig and has caused absolute mayhem by plucking a sacrificial challenger from the midst of our audiences. With me in the commentary box is our very own Steve Carsey. Welcome, Steve. Thanks, Tom. It's great to be back. Nice, Steve. We've got young Hayden Croft playing Hacksaw Jim. What tips can you give both of our well, challengers? I'm extremely excited about this challenge. I really, to be honest, I can't give them that much advice. These guys know what they're doing. They've got to go for a pin as early as possible. Uh, Stephen Carsey is in the booth. Um, Dominic Diamond says that Hacksaw has caused mayhem and it's Carsey's excited about this challenge. He said, got to go for those pins quickly. And when you, then it comes to the shot of Duggan and this child playing, you know, holding the pads. A, the pad looks so small in Duggan's massive hands, but the child looks just tiny next to him. He was a big dude. And yet, the, the, I honestly felt that maybe, did they have a miniature SNES pad that they gave him? Or did he at some point <laughs> just have his hand surgically replaced with ham hocks because these things are like even by big hand standards these hands are f***ing massive <laughs> I think Peter Jackson saw this and goes you know what that'd, that'd be really good when I start doing that trilogy <laughs> also so, nice to see Duggan uh, playing as Randy Savage clearly not taking that whole 1989-1990 feud too seriously <laughs> You can hear him on my on mic asking, "Am I savage?" And then, oh, <laughs> oh, I didn't hear that. And then muttering to himself, "How do I do the moves?" <laughs> oh, bless him! 
<laughs> oh, that's um, kind of sweet. So we can see that Hacksaw Jim Duggan is Macho Man Randy Savage in the rather colourful trousers. Hayden Crockett is the Undertaker. Using the ropes there. It's kind of sweet, really, because Hayden is playing as the Undertaker. And this feels like a very heavily edited challenge because there's lots of cuts away. There's lots of zooms in zoom in on the actual game itself. And I'm pretty sure the life bar for Duggan gets very quickly depleted because I can only imagine it was a bit like the challenge in series one where it was just a lot of whiffing moves and sort of a lot of the same move being done over and over again. It's not an entirely one-sided fight. Duggan does, by the magic of editing, get in some... um getting some offense but yeah uh, randy hacksaw does start to be on the losing end of that battle very very quickly uh, as opposed to hayden taker who is dominating as the phenom actually i don't think there's there's much wrong in the way they heavily edited wrestling match with video game overtones i don't, don't think don't see the problem there mate no me neither actually i think it's a really smart uh, smart movie you just focus on all the good parts of the challenge like undertaker stomping on hacksaw and you got dominic diamond and stephen Carter being like that's very unsporting you wouldn't get that in british wrestling yeah a crowd <laughs> hacksaw is so animated for all of this my favorite part of it is when he goes for a pin and undertaker kicks out at one but even all during all that hacksaw is shouting i got him i got him uh, i don't got him come on randy he's super vocal as well he's encouraging the kid as well and he's just like do the move do the move and he's yeah he's another one of these celebrities that's clearly very comfortable working with non-celebrities and just this kid is on cloud nine almost because this is just a such a weird <laughs> situation to be in it's so lovely as well because when undertaker finally goes for the pin duggan starts covering up the kid's eyes being like no 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 you can't see what you're doing you can't see what you're doing it's so sweet duggan i you said it brilliantly man you said he knows where he is he, like he knows what his role is and he plays that role to absolutely perfection in this challenge absolutely did anybody actually play the super wrestlemania game yep oh did you because i was gonna say i only had Royal Rumble uh, for the Mega Drive, but I didn't actually have the uh, the WrestleMania one. I had Super WrestleMania. I did exchange it in fairly quickly because it was even by that era of wrestling game standards, pretty shallow. The Super Nintendo version, none of the characters had any sort of signature move or difference in offense. They all had roughly the same uh, selection of wrestling moves. There wasn't much variance. I did upgrade to Royal Rumble, also for the Super Nintendo, which was a much better game and people started to have signature moves, even if those signature moves weren't entirely accurate. But uh, mm. but no, it was a fun wrestling game and also it was the first console... Yeah, it was the first console wrestling game I played other than WWF Superstars on the Game Boy, which is still my favourite wrestling game of that era. What about you, Math? You know what everything I was about to say, Ash just said far more eloquently than me. Uh, <laughs> I loved WF Superstars for the Game Boy, and it shat all over Super WrestleMania. Did you play Royal Rumble? Uh, no. I used to love the Royal Rumble. That would wreck your fingers, though, because you get into the grappling, you have to like really go against A and B on the Mega Drive to throw them over. You get massive blisters playing that game. But I absolutely loved it. I did my crowning achievement on that game was doing a Royal Rumble where I eliminated every other person in it. I was very, very pleased with myself. Yeah, it was weekends well spent. All right, then. Quiet down a little bit. Hayden, you must be ecstatic just now. Yeah. Brilliant fight. Tell us some of the things you were doing to, to beat Hacksaw. Oh, I was trying to get him in the throw and suplex him loads of times and tread on him and drop on him and everything. So, like, wearing him down. Then I was going to 
like just pin him and then that'd be it. And it, and it was. Hacksaw, <laughs> <laughs> I know this is this is quite a big defeat for you. I tell you, I've been in the ring a lot of times, but I never had a guy on me like that. He was suplexing me. He was arm barring me. He was giving me the wizard. He was all over me. Everything I tried, he had a counter move. All I can say is, I've been beaten by a better man today. Duggan, I thought Duggan sold, sold all of this absolutely brilliantly, and Hayden is absolutely ecstatic that he has won. Uh, he did all, loads of moves. He was slamming him. He did some suplexes. He was stomping him, and Duggan is inconsolable at the back. He's got his head in his hands he's resting up against the wall and he says i've been in the ring a lot of times but never has a guy been all over me like that uh, fair dues to hayden he knows what a suplex is unlike our commentators yeah. that call it a backbreaker <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is clearly a kid who actually watches wrestling is everything i tried he had a counter the better man won uh, and hayden wins the joystick duggan smiles and applauds and high fives him and because duggan is an absolute pro and he knows that there's a pit he calls for it he says well i've lost i think i should go to the pit so hacksaw jim duggan I think I'll take the pet to the pit. Oh, he's off. He doesn't need any prompting. Well, I think I should be taken to the pit right now. What do you guys think? It's more panto than anything in the Kendo Nagasaki <laughs> challenge. But he then takes it up a notch because he's like, I'm going to take myself to the pit and I'm going to take the pet to the pit. And he picks up the diver, throws her over his shoulder and he, off he falls. I do appreciate this shot because we actually see they do give the diver some sensible footwear. It looks like she's wearing some sort of DM or otherwise well-heeled shoe, which, given that location is a bloody death trap, was probably for the best. Oh, yeah, I mean, Duggan quite gingerly puts her down before they walk down the steps together, which I do think was the smart move. He, he's, he's a mad bastard, but he's not, like, insane. <laughs> yeah. Well, he is, but not in that oh. way. That's <laughs> Mr. Duggan. He's one of those 80s wrestlers where there's very little, if any, bad stories about him. Yeah. Like, the worst is the Sheiky story, which he paid the price for, everyone forgave him, and moved on. If you could book a wrestler to be on Games Master, who would you have and why? Are, are we talking <laughs> now or, like, period appropriate? I'll say period appropriate. Maybe give or take a few years. I was going to say, if it was now at 100% pick Xavier Woods... Because he'd like he'd be a lot of fun. Like he, well, you know, all of the new day would be perfect for like you know, Games Master as a kids show. Uh, but era appropriate. Oh, that's a tough one. Ash, what are you thinking? I mean, I'm kind of. There's a couple of wrestlers I'm leaning towards. One of which would be Papa Shango, because again, massively over the top <laughs> character that would have actually kind of fit into the same mold and probably would have had Dominic Diamond corpsing for entirely uh, different reasons. I'm actually trying to think of any of the wrestlers that would have fit better than Duggan. And to be honest, from the position of being likeable, as we understand it, relatively easy to handle and work with, he was pretty much the best choice. So many of the other wrestlers would be would either be like either difficult behind the scenes or difficult to work with on stage. A rising star at the time would have been The Undertaker, but he was... Oh my God, no! Undertaker and Paul Bearer as a double act. <laughs> yeah, because then you've George got this Bearer doing all the talking. Yeah, because you've got this huge figure of the Undertaker, you know, who would even next to Duggan would tower, and then you've got Percy Pringle, Paul Bearer, who one of the best mic men in the business at that time. That'd be a good double act. Oh yes, I will find a child <laughs> to face my Undertaker. <laughs> the only other person I was going to suggest was because you want like because what. 
I, I, you kind of want is to show off the, the colorfulness of the WWF at this point and you know the very loud and brash attitude that it also had so I'd, I'd probably bring over the Legion of Doom and just have Hawk and Animal just cut their very shouty promos because that's all their promos were like they started at 11 and never went any lower and then you'd have just done that and then just grabbed a child out I tried to get through, yeah, because the other side of the coin is I'm thinking of wrestlers I'd like to see on Games Master, but then I'm also trying to think of wrestlers that might actually stand a chance of playing the game. <laughs> yeah. Oh, forget it. <laughs> Who would you have had, Mal? So the only games for these people do was Super Coke World. <laughs> um, where you punch the dinosaur in the back of the head. <laughs> I'm going to say the person who would make an appearance next series, uh, Macho Man Randy Savage. Oh, yeah. Because he absolutely got this. His appearances of him that have been put on, on his UK TV archive Twitter account. He's like live and kicking and some of those other Saturday morning shows. And it doesn't matter where he is, foreign countries or otherwise, or whatever the topic is. We're thinking about global warming, Mr. Brandy Savage. Um, he's got an answer for it. He's able to spin <laughs> into carrots. What? That's not an expression. <laughs> it is now. The f- did that come it fucking? Is now. Can you almost hear the gears going in my head there? It, it can spin. It can spin. What's expression? What's expression? Um, into carrots. Into carrots. You turn carrots into sh- easily, but the other way around's quite hard. I'm going to use that now. Um, into carrots is now in my lexicon. <laughs> it's genius. Into carrots. Get it on a t-shirt, man. <laughs> What did you do with your day? Well, I heard a brand new expression in the making. <laughs> Hashtag <laughs> into carrots. Editing note for myself in the future. Do not cut that. Um... <laughs> oh, you're too kind. <laughs> Mate, Bastard. when you're selling <laughs> into carrot shirts hand over fist, you will not be complaining. Tonight, I'm going <laughs> to into a carrot <laughs> for Mega Mania for 32X. Nintendo's finest tonight. Hello, Games Master. What is your query? I've heard there's a secret exit leading off the Cheese Bridge area on Super Mario World. Can you tell me where it is? Please don't question my knowledge. Of course I can. Normally, you would leave this level by the first set of goalposts. However, there is a second set of goalposts hidden a little further on. To reach them, simply take to the air and dive beneath the first exit with heavy exuberance. Yes, thanks a lot. Here's a surprise for you. The first kid on the consultation zone wants help on Super Mario World. And Kingsmaster just shouted him, please don't question my knowledge. Uh, he's looking for the secret exit off the cheese bridge to get it. You fly under the regular exit to get to the hidden exit. Uh, Matthew, this is we are six episodes into season two of this show now, and we've talked about Super Mario World in every single episode so far. Uh, because it was the biggest game at the time, but what? Where did you play it at the time? Or you know, what are your thoughts on the game? I love Super Mario World. My parents ended up getting a SNES after Master System, and then never played any games ever again. And to me, Super Mario World was like the biggest thing in the it, like in terms of the size of the game. It was just huge. Like you couldn't beat it all in one sitting. So I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Wow, a save file. Ooh. Hey. <laughs> so um, I get where these kids are asking, like, where is the hidden exit? Because there were a lot. That was the appeal of the game, and that was one of the famous things that was mistranslated, where it was, there's, I forget the exact numbers, but it was, there's X amount of levels. Like, oh, where's the secret levels? Because no, 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 sorry, we meant exits, like yeah. some half different, and people are like, ah, oh, okay. I mean, there is still a lot in the game, and there are secret worlds and the Star Road and everything else like that, but when you're having to do stuff like this, 
I don't know if it wasn't stuff like this and reading games magazines, if I could have figured some of these out. And flying underneath the bridge. Yeah, that, right. That's shocking, that. That's something that I don't think I would have ever got unless I'd seen the video. Because it's it's right. it's as much about timing and knowing where and when to pop up. You'd have to have like twenty still images to show the correct timing of up 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 down 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 and then swing out of it. And I mean that's part of the reason why we chose the name under consultation is because one of the most persevering memories of the show to us was the consultation zone because it was the first time we got to see the solutions actually like in a fluid format that we could then emulate i was going to say because if you read in a magazine you've got to go under the exit my instant reaction would be you've got to go under the bar mm. so like you don't jump into the bar go underneath it and then i'd be like i still can't find the secret exit you've actually got to fly underneath the like the the level that is actually on and just go the other side of it and go through a, a secret exit i mean it's an absolutely amazing game and i mean you can't mm. say it's endless because it does have an end but like back at this period of time it felt like it could be endless right and there's no hints in the game for that there are other ones in the game like i forget the names of the levels in particular but the one where it depends on your timer mm. gives you there's, there's three separate bits you have to go to and i think one of them's an alternate exit uh but i'm pretty sure there's a bot that says hey mario something something time so there's a bit of a hint there yeah but i was like watching consultation zone because you know as you said seeing games in play like ooh. And I'd watch it in case one of the games that I owned came up, even though I wasn't stuck in any of them. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't a bright kid. But it is weird in hindsight, because you're going, all right, if I was doing this, do I go get some kids and say, oi, read this game query that we've just read in the back pages of CV and G, so Patrick Moore can read back the answer and look like he's knowledgeable. And then hopefully this will encourage kids and adults to record this in case it is the game that they need and they can't get a pen and paper in case they do the cheat code. So I think these are the bits that have kept the uh, uh, Games Master imprint, as it mm. were. On level 2-1 of Bart Simpson's Space Mutants, I can get to the floating platforms, but I can't get past the spinning lollipops. What am I doing wrong? There's an easy and rather ingenious way of solving this problem, young man. <laughs> then jump up and down on it. I'm terribly sorry about that. The sort of spray does tend to play havoc with one's calibration. I think I've managed to sort it out now, so let us continue. Um, as I was saying, there's a rather ingenious way of solving this particular problem. Jump onto the second moving platform, then jump up and down on it three times. It will then automatically transport you over the object that being giving you so much trouble. that yes thanks uh but before that one we do have bart versus the space mutants where oh. the kid can't get off the second level with the spinning lollipops also f those spinning lollipops this section is absolute dog turd and all it is you just gotta jump on this platform uh three times and it will turn into a floating platform and take you across that is a great tip to have because that level sucks i've got a solution for him uh, for Bart Simpson, the Space Mutants, it can be any solution to any problems on level one, level two, level three, or level four. Uh, <laughs> trade the <laughs> in. Horrible game. Absolutely bloody awful. Such a blatant tie-in of a game that had nothing to do with the Simpsons that they shoved Bart in because he was selling, like, carrots. And uh, very blatant, and I hate it. Your thoughts, Ash? Um, I was about to go very similar to you. Luke said, F this level. I say, F this game in every incarnation and i believe this incarnation is either the amiga or the genesis version it's definitely not the NES version there's way too many colors on the screen for that i think it's the amiga version still sucks 
doesn't matter. Yeah, we didn't really get a lot of good Simpsons games. Um, I would say that we probably didn't get a decent Simpsons game until maybe Road Rage or Hit and Run. Arguably the best home computer uh, Simpsons game at this point is the game that didn't start as a Simpsons game. Krusty Super Fun House. Oh, yeah, that's true. It was an okay game. It was passable. You could actually complete it, which is always kind of rewarding in a game. <laughs> but it was it was a complete reskin of an existing game. But it also, by virtue of being an existing game that had had a normal uh, development cycle that wasn't rushed to cash in, just by putting sprites over the top, it meant there was still actually a reasonable game underneath it because... They just they just reskinned it, much the same reason as why um, Super Mario Brothers Two is actually still a pretty good game because it was just a reskin, but the game underneath it still had a normal development cycle. I mean, you're our Simpsons man as well as our wrestling man, uh, Matthew. Were your top Simpsons games? I think we just talked about them. It's not like, it's not a long <laughs> list, pal. <laughs> I, I still have a Bart's Nightmare is a game I played a lot as a kid and rented it from Blockbusters. I knew it was odd. You knew it was a very weird game and it was a, a multi-pack. And you know when they're saying, wow, it's three games in one, you know, yeah, the three sh- <laughs> games in one. But I did enjoy the flying bits as Bartman and uh, the itch and scratchy side scrolling bits. So I'll give that a very begrudging Blockbusters rental because it was a different time. If I'd paid maybe 40 quid back then, maybe 30, depending if you want an hour price or index, I guess, uh, I would have been gutted. Uh, one time at Butlin's, my mum went to go do bingo, so she gave me some money and said, go to the arcade for a few hours, I'll, I'll come pick you when bingo's done. And this is back when you could do this and, you know, it'd be okay for a kid to do that. So I went to find the little arcade and there was a Simpsons game. And I saw some of the games around, there wasn't anything that took my fancy, and I went, sod it. I'll see if I can beat it. And this is when I was like, oh, maybe eight, maybe younger. So luckily for me, it was one of those arcade ones that took uh, 10 pences, maybe, or 20 pence rather than an entire quid or never would have gotten anywhere. And yeah, just thought, sorry, why don't you just actually stay in one game? And people came and joined in because it was four players, as we all know. And my mum was really confused, but not surprised at the same time. She came back from bingo and I had this crowd around me who was on the last level. And all these kids were like, oh my God, like, like, like Jim, Jim, Larry, look, he's that Mr. Burns, like what? Because <laughs> I don't think any of that many people go, you know what, I think I'll sit and beat this game. It's like, they go, no, I'm bored of this, I'll go do something else. I'm like, no, I want to see what happens. And uh, yeah, did it. Nice. You know, I was like, yeah. And my mom was like, I beat the game. I was like, yeah, okay, we're going. <laughs> That so is that's, impressive. That's brag about. It's, it's an impressive brag. Games Master, how can I help you? On Super Tennis, I've heard there is a way of improving your player stats. Please can you tell me what it is? You can indeed improve your player's ability in Super Tennis, but it's a laborious process, so listen carefully. During a game, press the select button to call out the score. Then, using controller 2, enter the following. R, R, left, down, B, A, L, L. If you've done this correctly, you should hear some applause. Then press either A or B back on controller one to call up a block of numbers and letters. Single out each digit with the control pad and alter them with the X button. When all the digits on the first two rows are F, your player will be in top form. Have you got that? Yes, thanks. Uh, so our third child wants to improve his player stats on Super Tennis. Uh, Gamesmaster says, now bear with me, it's a laborious process. You call up the score and on the second pad, press R-R, left down, B-A-L-L. 
you then should hear applause. Go back to your first pad and go to the digit screen and change uh, the top two rows to F, and now your player will have full stats. That is one you need a pad and paper for, otherwise you're never going to remember that. Imagine going on national TV and telling everyone that you suck at the game. <laughs> I don't know, we had a kid a couple of episodes ago who went on there talking about tennis for the Game Boy being like, I can't beat my mate, how do I cheat? <laughs> At least he's honest. Uh, well, we don't have any kids in our final challenge, so let's head on over to Games Master and find out what it is. My last offering is a supernatural battle to the death on King of the Monsters 2. The primeval brutality of a Tyrannosaurus called Super Gian will be fitted against the high-tech gadgetry of a robot called Cyber Woo in a best-of-three fight contest. Please don't forget to use each monster's spectacular array of special moves, such as the bone-shattering bat drum and the hellish heady hip attack. I do find them most amusing. May the best monster win. Gentlemen, we are playing King of the Monsters 2 on the Neo Geo, an awesome game. I absolutely loved the first King of the Monsters. I had it for the Mega Drive. Fun fact, you cannot play it with a six-button pad. It does not recognize it. Wow. Uh, you can only play it with a three-button controller. Oh. Yeah, fun fact for you. Um, and yeah, we are getting a match between uh, Godzilla versus Mecha Kong. Uh, and uh, Games Master says, got to use all your special moves, and it's highly amusing. I was just, just looking at my notes for this, and I noticed my autocorrect decided to make a better joke than I ever could, because I originally wrote that one of the challengers was a Silver Age gamer, Letty Edwards. And my autocorrect, looking at my movie viewing history, changed gamer to Gamera, which <laughs> just makes it better. <laughs> That is good. Thanks, also correct. Turning shit into carrots. Because oh. <laughs> we've got two special <laughs> Now we've got a couple of special challengers here. Auntie Marisha begged for the chance to try her arm at this, so we had to agree. And we've teamed it up with someone of a similar youthful spirit. So please give a warm welcome to Auntie Marisha and Letty Edwards from Bristol. <laughs> Annie, how are you? Very well. Good. All right, great. Okay, now, Auntie, what made you choose this challenge? Because it's, it's a good game and I like a good scrap. <laughs> okay, great. Now, listen, Lady, do you play your grandchildren a bit of the game? Sometimes, they're a little bit young. The seven-year-old's seven learning, she's very good. Uh -huh, so who yeah. usually wins? Um, I'd rather not say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm sure we're getting ready for that Titanic contest here. We've got two special challenges here. Uh, yeah, as you said, Letty from Bristol is one of them, and she is going to be taking on the oft-mentioned and only once previously seen Auntie Marisha. Um, and she says, oh, it's a good game. I do like a good scrap. Uh, whereas Letty says that she has battled her youngest granddaughter, who's seven uh, on video games, but she doesn't want to say who wins, which basically means it's her. Um, yeah, I, I think this is a really fun challenge, a bit of a granny battling. It is, and it's nice because kind of the last time we had a wrestling challenge before today, it was very much the British wrestling grannies with handbags. We've had American wrestling, but we still get the grannies in, and this time they're battering each other. <laughs> you realise this will be us soon? Oh, yeah. Trying to play, trying to play Fortnite. <laughs> <laughs> That's me now. Just being like, I don't know what the hell this is. Hey, I love Ninja. I love his hair. <laughs> and joining me to watch this epic battle is Sega Pro's Dave Perry. Dave, welcome. Now, Dave, it's good to see some older games players here, but how do you think they'll cope with a game like this? Is it a complex game? 
Well, it's, it's not too complex. No, it's, it's basically just a matter of, of, of whacking the hell out of each other. I mean, there, there are several power-ups you can collect and special moves that the various monsters have. But really, it's, it's ideal for Granny Grapple. As we've got Dave Perry in the booth, he says the game's not too complex. You just got to whack the hell out of each other. Ideal for a Granny Grapple. I love this is the appearance of Dave Perry. And I'd written down, make sure you're right about Dave Perry getting featured in some women's magazines as, you know, hot guys on TV. And here he is, the stud muffler himself, wearing his finest Sega Pro shirt. <laughs> he, it's easy to see the attraction. He really doesn't look like he wants to be there. He's just like, when, when Dominic Diamond goes up and he's like, and joining me in the commentary is Dave Perry. And he's like, what? 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 <laughs> Dave Perry just goes, all, all right. right. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> this is what I'm reduced to, granny slaps. This was one of those things, like we said this a lot in season one, where you can tell the sort of challenges that Dave Perry was involved in where he thought it'd be really funny to have two uh, old age pensioners play a video game in the same way that he thought it'd be really funny to have Ashley Pask play the neighbors game. And uh, you can hear him having a good laugh while he is doing this one because he's naming all the moves. At one point he does say, Oh, there's Auntie Marisha on her back again. Oh, bless that actress. She so took far more than she should have. That didn't... Never mind. Oh. I didn't even mean for it. It just came out. That's what this show oh, does dear. to us. Oh. <laughs> the best of British, isn't it? Just the worst puns imaginable. Doing them because they're crap. You just described my entire humour repertoire, so... <laughs> so, Ash, I saw you fist pumping in the air. What do you think of King of the Monsters 2? Um, I just like a good fist pump, to be honest. But no, I loved both of the King of the Monsters games because... There have been a couple of Godzilla games recently and still none of them have actually been as good as the two or so King of the Monsters games because they got what you really wanted, which is a simple game mechanic, big cartoonish graphics and the ability to destroy a city. And so I loved them. I, I played, I think, the first one on the Super Nintendo and I played the second one in the arcade. And when Neo Geo emulation first became really smooth, these were a couple of the first games I went to. This and Windjammers. Oh, absolutely. Sorry, big, big plus for Windjammers. But um, this is, again, a rental for myself. And oh, this is a lot. I don't think it's great long term, mm. but because you really do get all the fun out of it on a few rentals because you smash the, the famous Japanese landmarks and all this and you do the cool moves and there's not much as a long term game. But it is, as I said, fun as hell. And I love Kaiju, so I approve the use of non-union Mechanic Kong, <laughs> which is himself a non-union version of King Kong. So. Yeah, totally. I was going to say, and really, it was our only kind of Kaiju big battle game because Kaiju Daikison never made it its way over here. It's only now in my 30s that I own a box copy of it up on my shelf over there um, as a, like, you know, a good godzilla one-on-one -on -one fighting game this is pretty much like the closest we had to it this challenge is fought over three rounds in the first one we've got auntie marisha as super Gion and letty as cyber woo and letty absolutely just like she gets slammed in this this is all marisha marisha dominates this first round she uh does this move where she lifts them up and then slams her onto her own spikes and she just keeps doing that until uh until letty is dead uh yeah it was a really one-sided fight it was a one-sided fight, but you know what? It looked like they were having fun. It made the game look fun. It was not a bad... It wasn't a bad challenge. It could have gone a lot mm. worse. We've had worst final challenges. Oh, yeah. We've got worse to come. But 
when they cut to them playing the game, you could see they were laughing and chuckling and they 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 played it enough to know what they were doing. So no, it was enjoyable. I I did like it a lot. Yeah, absolutely. In the second round, Letty starts firing at Marisha and she gets a power up. They have a scrap in the water. Dave Perry thinks that she's going to rust because she's fighting in the water too much because she's playing a robot character. And Letty wins the second round. It was a really, really big victory for her. And then when we get into the third round, she absolutely smashes Auntie Marisha, dominates the proceedings and picks up the win. An absolutely phenomenal comeback. It would have been nice to have seen Auntie Mauritius win because of the whole canon of her being in Games Master, but she got pasted. She, you know, particularly in that third round, she didn't get a look in edgeways and it was three kind of rocket-assisted slams and a couple of kicks while she was down for good measure and that was it. She was laid out. Yeah, good booking putting over the, the newcomer. <laughs> yeah. uh, and to quote the great Tony Schiavone at Halloween Havoc 95, and the letty. <laughs> Jim Duggan was probably watching from backstage going, oh, that's what a push looks like. <laughs> oh, oh, bless him. Auntie Marisha, now, you said that you like to get your teeth into a game, but you were hacking great chunks out of Letty there. <laughs> I enjoyed it. <laughs> well, you did very well, considering that you're not, you don't play the games that no, much, Auntie Marisha, no. but you had a, did a good account of yourself, didn't you? I did, yes. <laughs> now, Letty, I pity your grandchildren. If that's how hard you are at the games, that was some game, wasn't it? It was. I really enjoyed it. It was very, 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 very good. That's good. And a yeah. worthy competitor for you? I thought she was brilliant. Uh, I really enjoyed the post-match interview, uh, particularly like Auntie Marisha, where he just goes, did you enjoy that she goes i enjoyed it she just seemed to have a lot of fun playing that game as did letty as she goes oh, i think it's a, at a great time i'm gonna really play that game with my grandchildren as well and this is where we get dominic diamond saying that um okay well yeah. we'd love to we'd love to be able to split the joystick down the middle but unfortunately we can annie marisha you can come and have a look at my joysticks I in can. the back after okay that letty is going to win the golden joystick but marisha can look at his joystick in the back oh <laughs> <laughs> it's not the worst joke we've had about Auntie Marisha, but it was to her face. And then they cut to her as well, just having a little shot on her face. And you could just see the moment where she realises what he has just said. And it, it made me feel a bit sad. Yeah. I mean, it's all well and good to make jokes about her red snapper, but at least she wasn't on the stage when they did that. Uh, but I thought that was a really fun challenge, actually, to, to round this off. Uh, I thought both contenders were a lot of fun. I thought the game was great. And yeah, it, it was one of those things as well that when you're in that sort of seven-year-old bubble watching this game and you see a game that looks like that because it's a Neo Geo game, so it just looks like the dog's balls. It, just, it was awesome. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I would have seen this and probably wouldn't have played this game not because of the old biddies, just because of this. And also because Dave Perry's there. And I would be amiss if I was going to talk about the greatest moment in the history of Games Master, because I probably won't be invited back for Series 8 or 7, whichever one it is when it happens. Because uh, I remember, this is, to me, the weird kids version of where were you when JFK was killed? Where were you when Dave Perry got into a legit argument and was saltier than Lot's wife after losing badly to, quote, Dominic Diamond's mate, <laughs> we just kept on showing up on national TV. And it just it's amazing. And I've shown people who aren't even in the Games Master. I've shown normal people this clip over and over again. I upload it on all my channels and it got taken down. So I upload it on other channels as well, just so everyone can see it. Because it's I literally I have mates come up to me and goes, What was that show you saw me one time? The guy had the the thing on his head. He looked like Billy Kane from King of Fighters and 
he got in an argument and started, and then I was like, oh, yeah, Super Mario 64 Christmas challenge. So what do you guys think of this? Well, we, uh, yeah, we're going to get to that at some point, but we have made reference to it several times. We've played the clip in this podcast. Not a journalist, I'm a marketing manager. Uh, even just little snippets of it, because my favorite line from it is like, I'm not a game journalist, I'm a marketing manager. <laughs> Okay, but you do have a book about games coming out. <laughs> and I love that you mentioned JFK because we've also used it with the back and to the left comment as well. <laughs> but, to, but you're absolutely right. It is of Games Master. It's the JFK moment. It's the, or to use another wrestling term, it's the Montreal screw job. It is that kind of linchpin moment where something changed because even just by leaving it in the episode as they did, and we'll talk about this in a year's time, it will almost be a year's time but it kind of pulled back the curtain a bit because even with the edit, it was very clear that they were f***ing him over. I mean, it's amazing, according to Dominic Diamond, when he's done various interviews about this, and he admits, it's like, yeah, I just had me mate come on the show and just had him around. <laughs> That's how easy he was back then, just appearing on the telly. Dave Perry, qualifications, uh, works for Sega Pro, he's a games market manager, he's got a book about fighting games coming out soon. Dominic Diamond's mates, qualifications, knows Dominic Diamond. <laughs> oh, and also own Super Mario 64. That was the real thing. That was... Yeah. Well, the dinner gong brings another show to a close. We're off for some of Auntie Marisha's winkles and whale sputum sauce. Please don't miss next week's show, one of the biggest ever. Not only do we have the American Gladiators video game, we've also got two of your favourite British Gladiators, Shadow and Jet. If you miss this one, you deserve your forehead to be slapped vigorously. See you next week. Good night. On the menu this week, it's Winkles and Whale Sputum Sauce, which, I'll be honest, it sounds like the least appealing dish that Auntie Marisha's had on offer uh, since we've gone onto the games rig. We've discussed before how we will split the menu because you're vegan, and and I can't eat fish, but I think I'm just going to be fasting for this week's dinner because <laughs> none of that sounds appealing in the slightest. These are just the answers to the Banjo-Kazooie quiz game, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> but make sure you don't miss next week's episode because not only are they playing the American Gladiators video game, they've got Shadow and Jet from the British Gladiators oh. on the show. Yes, please, mate. If you miss it, your forehead deserves to be slapped vigorously. I want to know where that came from, the forehead slapped vigorously. That was a really <laughs> weird line to end on. Uh, yeah, so I'm super excited for our uh, Jet challenge next week. Because to be honest, I mean, I don't really care about the other lad. Jet from Gladiators is going to be on the show. And so absolutely very excited for next week's show. But uh, yeah, that was episode six of series two. What did we think of it? What do we think, Matthew? Not the worst, uh, not the best. Happy to see Duggan had a hell of a performance. Wasn't really feeling the two old biddies, so to speak. But I do like a bit of King of Monsters too. And the Super Scope can get in the bin. <laughs> or the recycling, whichever is better for the environment. So I'm going to give it a spectacular two bags of Coke out of five in honour of Bulldog. <laughs> oh no, sorry, I have to give a proper magazine rating. Uh, I will give it the usual review a magazine would give to a game that they're not that asked about, but the publisher's done a good deal. 70%. 70% from Matthew. Ash, what did you think? I love this episode. Um, I'm slightly more positive on it than Matthew. I was 
into this all the way from Dominic entering from the rear at the beginning all the way through to offering to show a geriatric his penis right at the end. Um, all the challenges in between were great. I'll give him a slide on the historical reviews because the two games that they did feature were actually pretty cool games. I think I'm going to go high on this one. I gave Season 2, Episode 2, 93%. And I gave episode three ninety one percent, so I'm going to slot this in the middle with ninety two percent. Oh, big score from Ash, and actually one that I am going to echo because I really, really enjoyed this episode. I had an absolute blast with it, and it was all down to that Duggan challenge. All of my notes around that challenge were: this is the best the show can be, and it was just, it was so mad, and it was so lovely. I really enjoyed King of Monsters. The the Mole Patrol challenge I can pretty much take or leave, um, but it was cool seeing the super scope. I just really, really had a blast with it. I'm not going to go as high as 92, but I am going to go to 90% uh, for this episode. And that pretty much all comes down to that Duggan challenge. I just thought he was so much fun on the show. He's arguably, I think, the best guest we've had thus far on season two, just for his level of engagement and also really an anarchic presence, the way he he deconstructed the format, even though they haven't got that far yet, by just going, I'm going to literally go and manhandle someone out of the crowd <laughs> to be my opponent. And yeah, it kind of set the tone for the rest of the episode. And of course, Dominic Diamond corpsing more than I've ever seen him corpse <laughs> before or probably since. He can't keep a straight face, and who can blame him? Well, that is all we've got time for on this episode. Uh, Matthew, where can people find you on the old socials? Plug your stuff away, mate. Uh, in me house right now. I'm not being sociable. I'm being a good boy. Oh, sorry. I am <laughs> on Twitter at, at Matthew Greg in Jeff Jarrett style. That is M-A-F-F-E-W. Ha-ha. G-R-E-G-G. Ha-ha. <laughs> or on WatchMeHere.com, where I rarely update because Google won't give me money. So sod you, you <laughs> bastards. <laughs> well, we're off to go and avoid having some winkles and whale sputum and see what else is on the menu. Uh, we'll see you again in seven days' time for the Jet Challenge from Gladiators. Take care, everyone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.